this week's Adam Schefter podcast, we'll be joined by the new head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Bruce Arians, who makes his return to football after a year in broadcasting. And we'll get an analytics breakdown of the upcoming conference championship games from the ESPN NFL researcher, Evan Kaplan. And we'll take your questions as you, the listeners, have left us voicemails that deserve to be answered. But first, the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Bruce Arians. Bruce. Hey, baby. Congratulations on the job. I got a great story for you. I don't know if you're going to remember this. Do you remember after the Pittsburgh Steelers fired you in 2011, so we're headed into the 2012 season, and I called you and I said, hey, there's a job for you in Tampa. Tampa's interested. And you had just gotten fired as the Steelers offensive coordinator. Do you remember this conversation between you and I? I don't think so. And you said, is it for the head coach? And I thought to myself, privately, head coach? He just got fired as the offensive coordinator. He's asking about the head coach. And they were interested in you as the offensive coordinator. And you thought back in 2012, this time in 2012, seven years ago, that you should have been the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, seven years later, you were proven accurate. And there were seven years too late to hire you because in between you obviously bounced around going from Indianapolis to Arizona to the CBS booth, and now finally to the job that you told me that you should have back seven years ago. That's a good one, bro. That's awesome. (laughs) You don't remember that, huh? No, I don't. That's 100% accurate. I remember them speaking to them, and I remember reaching out to you. I remember saying, would you have any interest? And you say, yeah, are they calling about the head coaching job? And which... (laughs) Which, when we look at that, I think it speaks to your level of confidence and how much you thought you should be a head coach, which you had not been an NFL head coach at that point. And it worked out okay, Bruce. It did. It did. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. So what made Tampa so attractive to you? Uh, location, ownership, general manager, uh, quarterback. And all my all my staff being available, it's kind of like the stars just kept lining up. And uh, you know, as I as I traveled around this year and, and did broadcasting, I knew how much I missed the locker room and how much I missed the arena. At what point, when you were broadcasting, did you know I want to get back into this? No, it is week eight or nine, and I forget which team I was at. I'm standing on the sideline, and DB messed up, and I started to coach him. <laughs> and uh yeah, I said, Well this isn't my team. I can't coach him. And uh so I, I knew it was happening. The itch was coming. And when did it become a reality? Uh when Tampa opened up, which I wasn't sure it was. And uh you know, knowing Jason Light, Jameis Winston, um then when when the guys that I wanted on my staff were available, uh then then it just became uh something I had to do. So you've known Jameis Winston for a long time. Oh, gosh, since he was in the 10th grade. And he would come to your football camps, correct? Yes, yes. So how do you get Jameis to control those interceptions and turnovers? Well, I think through um, better understanding of what we're trying to do um, and the realization that you don't have to throw it through a little window every single time to prove you can. Uh, that that you know some of those decisions that you think you can get it in there aren't worth it, 
and you're hurting the team. So I, I just think the confidence that he knows that I have in him, that he's the man, it's his team, some of those things will go away. There's a lot on the line for him this year because he's going to the fifth year of that rookie deal. There's a ton of money. You can make Jameis Winston a lot of money, Bruce, here. I hope so. He made me some. <laughs> that works out pretty well. How good a quarterback can he be with your guidance and direction? Well, I think he's got all the skill. He's very bright, and he's an excellent worker. I mean, he's there at 5 o'clock every morning. So when you have all those things, um, I've got a great quarterback coach in Clyde Christensen, an offensive coordinator in Byron Leftwich, who he can lean on, uh, a guy that's played a position in this offense. So there, there shouldn't be any questions that, that can't be answered. Um, fundamentally, he'll be in his best he's ever been, I think, with Clyde. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just making the right decisions at the right time uh, that help us win. When you sat down and studied the Tampa roster, what else stood out to you about it, Bruce? Well, you start with wide receivers. I mean, that room's full. Tight ends are full. I mean, it's, they're just loaded up. Um, I think it's a fine young young secondary. Um, speed at linebacker. We played these guys two years ago, uh, and I just knew how much speed up front they had. They had size. Um, so yeah, it was. I think we got to get better. Maybe a little bit in the offensive line, and maybe the defensive line. You bring up those wide receivers. You sound like you were gushing a bit. What about those guys? Oh, I mean, Mike Evans, great kid, and what a talent. Deshaun Jackson still got a ton. Um, I'd love to get Humphreys back. Uh, and I really like Chris Godwin. You know, we had them in the preseason. I did their third preseason game, and he just lit it up. And and they've got two young kids that, that they've been gushing about that played well in that game. So you did the third preseason game. Would you ever have imagined four, five, six months later that you would be the head coach of that team? That's crazy. No, especially after they went down and beat New Orleans in the opener. It's like, whoa, they're going to have a heck of a year. And it started out pretty good, and then it just got away from them pretty quickly. Yeah, I think the the, the Russian roulette, the roulette wheel at quarterback and uh, some other things. It's always Everybody's got injuries, but, you know, just things – um, got away from them because I think I've got all the respect in the world for Dirk Cutter. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, that's why I'm so excited about it. Bruce, what did you learn about yourself during your year away from coaching? That I was made and born to be in a locker room <laughs> helping young people. And uh, I wasn't born to be on television. And, uh, so as I just missed those relationships, especially when I saw my guys, Tyron Matthew in Houston, some of the guys as I did games, you know, we did a Cardinal game, so Fitz and Patrick and some of those guys. And just, man, I really missed those relationships. Was Tampa the only job you were interested in? I was interested in Cleveland. Uh, that was funny how that started because I was really pushing Chuck Pagano for the job. But I've always loved Cleveland, and I think Freddie, gosh, I'm so excited for Freddie. I think he, he earned the job. He's going to do a great job. What will make Freddie a great coach in Cleveland, Bruce? Um, he's got the personality for Cleveland. I mean, he's uh, he's one of the guys that, you know, he'll sit at the bar and have a beer with anybody. Uh, he's bright. He's got a great rapport with that quarterback. 
what he did offensively those last eight or nine games was just absolutely amazing. And, uh, you know, he's hired Steve Wilkes as his defensive coordinator. Todd Munkin, who I thought was an outstanding offensive coordinator, is going in there with him. So he's put a good staff together. And, man, they got loaded with young players. How do you think Cleveland will fare this year? Under Freddie, I think they'll be. I think they're going to be. They're going to be pushing for the NFC North, AFC North. And you know the Pittsburgh Steelers pretty well too. A little bit. <laughs> Bengals and Ravens. I mean, Ravens are on. A, you know, I think they have a a bright future with Lamar. And so, I, yeah, I think it's going to be a heck of a division with all those young quarterbacks. You coached in Pittsburgh until 2011, so I, I'm not sure whether you overlapped with Antonio Brown. Did you at all, Bruce? Yeah, we drafted him. Yeah. He, I drafted uh, he and Emmanuel Sanders the same year. That's pretty good. So what is your assessment of what's going on there with your experience with Antonio and the Steelers from afar? Uh, from afar, um, yeah, it's just mis- mis- too much miscommunication, too much diva. You know, I just don't – I've heard so many stories and um, – uh, I, I, I like Antonio. He plays as hard as anybody on Sunday, and he practices hard. But he's just got to make better, better decisions off the field, be on time, do some of those little things. Was that the Antonio that you knew and drafted back in 2011 or whatever year it no. was? It was he was hardest working, um, hardest for he and Emmanuel Sanders. Boy, they went after it because. Mike Thomas always telling two dogs one bone. At that time, we had Mike Wallace, Heinz Ward, and we had a pretty good room for one of them to get on the field. And uh, by the end of the season, they were both winning for us to go to the Super Bowl. And the other thing that's interesting during this offseason is all the coaching hires that emanate from the Sean McVay tree. Now, I didn't know that you could be 32 years old and have a tree, but it looks like Sean McVay's got quite a tree going. As a veteran coach... Who it took so long to land a head coaching job? What is your assessment of all these Sean McVay disciples being hired across the league? Well, let me first say I have all the respect for Sean and what he has done. Uh, he respects the game. He respects the coaching. He grew up in it, so it's different. Now, for these other guys that I mean, to say you hired his quarterback coach or a guy that coached with him or a guy that shook his hand one time, I think you're reaching. I think you're really reaching. Um, Sean has that really dynamic personality, and he's got John Fossil and Wade Phillips, so he's got an unbelievable staff with him too. Yep. So, um, so yeah, I think I think some owners are reaching for the the new wave thing. I mean, Andy Reid, who's been as innovative as anybody ever, and what he's done with Patrick Mahomes, uh, I would have thought more people would have went that way. Hmm. Now, Bruce, take off your Buccaneers head coaching hat. How do you see this weekend going before I let you go? We got the Rams and the Saints and the Patriots and the Chiefs. What do we think? Well, it's like I've always said, you know, you can have great defenses and you can run the ball, but if you ain't got a quarterback, you ain't in the finals. And this is the four best quarterbacks probably playing right now. Whosever defense can just play a little bit and stop them once or twice, I think they win the game. But I, 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 to me, the home field advantage is huge for New Orleans, and it's really huge for the Kansas City defense. Those might be the two toughest venues in the entire NFL to play in, if I looked at it. Oh, there's no doubt. Out, out, there's nothing like it outdoor. Seattle comes close. Uh, I mean, that's a hard place to play. Kansas City is 
crazy fans, and uh, and there's there's really nothing like going in that dome in New Orleans. Hey, Bruce, I want to thank you for the time today. I want to welcome you back to the NFL. I appreciate you taking the time. Congratulations on the new job. Lots of luck in Tampa, and we'll be watching and pulling for you from afar. Appreciate you, brother. Cap hit. Welcome to another edition, the Conference Championship Game edition of Cap Hits with our friend and colleague Evan Kaplan, the ESPN NFL researcher. And I guess, Evan, I guess we should start out by the fact that this is the young versus the old in both games. It really is. When you look at the NFC Championship with Drew Brees against Jared Goff and the AFC Championship with Tom Brady against Patrick Mahomes, it will be the first time that both Conference Championship games feature one starting QB who is at least 10 years older than the other starting to mm. be. The age gaps are incredible. Goff and Mahomes, both younger than 25, on Championship Sunday. Drew Brees and Tom Brady will both be 40 years old. You look at all that Brady and Brees have accomplished in their careers, but now these young quarterbacks who we've talked about all year, these younger quarterbacks who are now coming up in the league, throughout the league, and Goff and Mahomes with a chance to beat two surefire Hall of Famers in the championship game. And it's funny, you bring up the quarterbacks. We've got Breeze and Brady, Goff and Mahomes, mm-hmm. and I would say, and look at the head coaches in the Final Four, Absolutely. right? Sean Payton, Sean McVay, Andy Reid, Bill Belichick. Three yep. veterans, one upstart, mm-hmm. one guy that everybody around the league is admiring is Sean McVay. Well, they really admire all these coaches. Right. To a tremendous extent, but you've got the young versus the old with quarterbacks, Yeah, and you've got the young... Young, one young man versus right. the old in all the head coaches. Right. And you, and you look at this playoff, uh, year as a whole, all 12 coaches could have been traced back to Bill Walsh and Bill Parcells. Everybody. All 12. And, and obviously that still stands with these four in, in direct lineage to two, two of the greatest coaches in NFL history. And 20 years from now, we'll probably be tracing back all these coaches to Sean McVay 20 years from it, now. It's, it feels that way, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about the idea? that the Chiefs and Saints are looking to continue recent history for number one seats. Yeah, home field advantage in the conference championship has been as important as ever over the last 15 or so Which years. Which it wasn't for a it while. It wasn't, that, and, and we'll get to that right now. So one number one seeds in the conference championship are 15-1 and one since 2005. The only loss was the 2012 Falcons. You look at the previous 15 years before that, 1990-2004, number one seeds at home were 15-10. and 10. So you look at how much more common it is for that home team when they're a one seed in the conference championship to win that game. Obviously, that's the Saints and the Chiefs this weekend. So a little bit of recent history, obviously different teams, and the Patriots have not been involved in many of those scenarios on the road. They've been involved in a ton at home when they won. But they will try, the Patriots and the Rams will try to reverse that recent trend of one seeds at home in the conference championship. So history says we're looking at a Chief Saints Super Bowl. That's what yeah, that's that's what recent history says. If you look fifteen and one, that's that's pretty stark over the last thirteen or so years. What about the idea that the Rams and Saints both are thirteen win teams? Yeah, we you go back to week, the week nine matchup between these teams in New Orleans, and that really decided where this game will be played. Uh, both teams finished thirteen and three. It will be the ninth time that a conference championship features two thirteen win teams. The most recent before this year ha- happened last year with the Vikings and Eagles. An interesting thing about it in those matchups between nine win teams in the conference championship, the road team won the first six matchups. Very wow. interesting. Uh, 1990 Giants at the 49ers. Uh, there were a few Cowboys at the 49ers games mixed in there. Um, but but now the last two have been won by the home team. So and I think it's interesting, Adam. When you look at the regular season matchups, 
between in both games, AFC and NFC, and how, especially in the NFC, that game, if that game goes the other way, this game can be played in L.A. You look at how that 45-35 game went in the Saints' favor and, and home field advantage, look, we know they've never lost at home in the playoffs in the Breeze-Payton era. And that's why when we're talking all throughout the season, October, November, all these games come back to matter in January. How about this? If the play in Miami yeah. doesn't happen, where right. the Dolphins yep. pull off that last-minute miracle return to yep. beat the Patriots in an improbable way, it was a pass or return? It was a pass. Yeah, pass and lateral. Yep, lateral. The, the collateral, lateral, right. lateral, collateral, whatever right. you want to call it. If that play doesn't happen, and the Patriots win that game, the yep. Chiefs are traveling to Foxborough. Right. For Sunday's AFC Championship game at six forty Eastern, right? And yeah, Patriots are twelve and four, and yeah, it, it it's crazy how everything relates together. But now here we are, and look, I think everyone would agree these are the best four teams during the regular yep. season, and 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 Agreed. we've gotten there in the championship round. Now, one of the storylines going to this game was after the last time the Rams and Saints played in that game that you're talking about. Michael Thomas lit up Marcus Peters, and Sean Payton came out after the game and said basically that. It was their idea to go after Marcus Peters, which Marcus Peters did not like at all, had some rather strong right. language for Sean Payton <laughs> if they ever got the chance to meet again together, talking about how the fact that uh, it's time for the two of those guys to get together and get some gumbo, right. if you know what I mean. Yes. <laughs> and now we get Thomas on Peters again. What do we make of that matchup? Well, look, the numbers say that look, Thomas had the best game of his career in that Week 9 matchup. 211 yards, a career high. He's coming off a playoff game where he set a Saints postseason record in the divisional round. And, and he did the majority of his damage against Peters in that game. Next-gen can tell us that 127 of his 211 yards were with Peters as the nearest defender, including Thomas's only touchdown. But here is a key thing to remember as we're looking forward to Sunday's games. Aqib Tlaib did not play in that first matchup in New Orleans. Mm. So as you look at who's going to be matched up against, the Peters-Payton story will be huge throughout the week with the sound and everything, but I'm not sure that Peters will be that nearest defender on Thomas as much. I'll bet it is to leave playing. Exactly. So something to keep an eye on. Um, another interesting... Sean Payton will still go after Marcus Peters, whoever he is. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Kirk Lloyd, whoever's on him. Another interesting thing to keep an eye on, when Ted Ginn is in the lineup... That has had a direct effect on Michael Thomas's numbers. He's averaging about 40 more receiving yards per game with that threat of Ted Ginn down the field. With Ginn in the, in the six lineup. games Ginn has played this year, Ginn had three or four catches in the divisional round, but you saw what Thomas did with him on the field. So with the ability of Ginn to stretch the field, that direct effect on increased numbers for the Saints' top receiver. All right, let's talk about Tom Brady in the postseason because – He's gone up against a variety of quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. But when you go and look at it over time, Evan, it has not been particularly successful for the quarterback that Brady is opposing when he has not had experience. We can go through a million Brady stats and numbers, but this one sticks out to me. When Tom Brady faces a, an opposing starting quarterback in his first, in that quarterback's first postseason as a starter, which Patrick Mahomes is in, he made his first postseason start in the division round, Brady is a perfect 10-0. He has never lost against a starting quarterback in their first postseason as a starter. You can go back all the way to the Super Bowl against the Panthers with Jake DeLome, Ben Roethlisberger in the 2004 Conference Championship falls in this category, Blake Bortles last year. So the the names are varied. Patrick Mahomes certainly on the high end in terms of the caliber of these starting quarterbacks in their first postseason. But Brady has never lost in this situation 
when when you've got a starting quarterback within their first postseason as a starter. So, so 10 quarterbacks in their first postseason have all lost their first postseason game to Tom Brady. First, in their first postseason in as their a first starter. Post-season. Their first post- in their first postseason. So that will Mahomes will try and break that string in Kansas City. Do you know who the best quarterback was in that string of 10 quarterbacks to lose to Brady in their first postseason? I would say probably Ben Roethlisberger. Okay. And he was a rookie in that string. So as as I think, look, anything that, that, that we talk about, it, its context is important. And I think I would say, I, I would feel comfortable saying that Patrick Mahomes will be the best well, that's of, where the, I was of, going. of that group of 11. That's he where I was going. Ben Roethlisberger was a rookie, and while he had an incredible rookie season, he didn't put up nearly the numbers that Patrick Mahomes put up this year. I would say that while Brady is 10-0, Mahomes' credentials this year are the best for any of those quarterbacks in their first postseason as a starter. And then I would say this then, being that Brady's record is so successful against quarterbacks in their first postseason, like Patrick Mahomes, how can the Chiefs find a way to overcome the vaunted New England Patriots who Tom Brady says we all think that they suck? Yeah, incredible. Playing the underdog card, and and they are on the Come road. On, they are on, they are on the road in the AFC Championship. Not a familiar place. Only two Brady and the Patriots. Only two and three on the road mm. in the conference championship. The last, and they've actually lost three straight. Twice against the Broncos, once against the Colts. The last time they won an AFC Championship on the road was back in 2004. That game we mentioned against Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers. But you look at kind of similarities, and, and this Chiefs team, a lot of similarities to the 2013 Broncos team that ended up beating the Patriots in the conference championship. Peyton Manning, NFL record 55 touchdowns in 2013. Patrick Mahomes, 50 touchdowns this mm. year. You look at the regular season. The Patriots beat the Broncos by three points in Foxborough during the 2013 regular season. This year, the Patriots beat the Chiefs by three points in Foxborough during the regular season. The Broncos hosted the AFC Championship. The Chiefs will host the AFC Championship on Sunday and will try to channel that team and get to the Super Bowl. And I can't emphasize this enough. If the Chiefs find a way to win this game on Sunday, and they very well might, they're an excellent football team with a great young quarterback, we will look back at that play that the Miami Dolphins unleashed against the New England Patriots and wonder if that was the play that basically ended the New England Patriots season that day. It's incredible. It could all come down to one play and, and... Something that happened in week 13, week 14, it always has an effect down the road. Evan, thanks for joining us. Enjoy the conference championship games on Sunday. Thanks, Adam. You too. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. We should ask Adam. Well, I'm glad you did. The divisional round is in the book. We are looking ahead to the conference championship weekend. And for help with your Ask Adam questions, I'm going to turn to my friend, my colleague, my producer, Josh Macri. Wow. Josh, what do we got today? Got friend and colleague first, Adam. I appreciate that. Well, well you, you mentioned it. Colleague, Josh. <laughs> another another great weekend of playoff action, which had one of our listeners asking, "Hey, could more teams and more cities actually be a part of this in the future?" Give a listen. Hello, Adam. My name is Jim from South Carolina, and I was wondering, would the NFL ever consider going to an eight team per conference playoff format? It just seems like it's way too big of an advantage for the number one, number two seeds to have a bye week. Plus, then we would get four more cities every year that would get to experience the playoff excitement. Thank you. Well, Jim, it's a good question. I actually kind of like the size of the field right now. I think there's something to be said for the regular season as it is right now. That top seed, the top two seeds getting by. And 
We've seen teams with 500 or sub-500 records sneak into the playoffs, and there's an outcry, and that's before we expand the playoff field, Jim. So I don't see that happening. I haven't heard any movement for more teams. I haven't heard any calls for more teams other than yours, Jim. So I don't think it's happening, but if it changes, we'll certainly let you know. I think it's perfect the way it is, like you said, Adam. I mean, it it makes it so that... There's some value to getting to one of those top two Absolutely, seeds, Josh. you know, and it makes the regular season more you meaningful. You don't want to water it down. You don't want to turn this into the NHL. No or disrespect. the NBA. Or the you, NBA. You know, eight and teams I love get, the NBA. Me too. Me too. But yeah, yeah. I think it's perfect the way it is, and I think the buys are meaningful. I say we should keep it the way it is. Now, speaking of the playoffs, we saw a team like the Indianapolis Colts rise up this year and yep. take that next step getting into the playoffs. One caller wants to know who might be next year's Cinderella. Hey, Adam, this is Mike from Madison, Indiana. My question for you, with so many teams out of it now, so many of us have our favorite teams gone, what teams that finished in the back half of their division this year do you see making a run to the playoffs next year, like the Colts or the Texans or the Bears of this year? Great question, Mike. And this is, I believe, one of the reasons that the NFL is as popular as it is because you can see a team like the Bears and Colts go from where they are one year into the playoffs and into contention the next year. So when we begin to survey the playing field for next year, there are two teams that instantly pop into my mind, the Cleveland Browns and the New York Jets. And I say that because of the top two quarterbacks picked that shined the way that they did. Baker Mayfield, I think, has a real chance to lead the Cleveland Browns to the playoffs next year with Freddie Kitchens as the head coach. And I think that Sam Darnold has a chance to lead Adam Gase and the New York Jets to the playoffs next year. I don't know, even though that they have the second overall pick in the draft this year, the 49ers, I would think they're back next year as a team that's going to be in contention. Would not surprise me to see that be the case. And I'll give you one more in the NFC. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Bruce Arians taking over has a chance to really get that franchise back on track. There's four teams right there, four teams picking at the bottom of the draft this year, right? Jets, Browns, Bucks, and the 49ers. Four teams that I think you could look at bouncing back next year and being legitimate playoff contenders. I'm glad you mentioned the 49ers, Adam. Yeah, obviously, uh, you know, a year ago, the past offseason, when the 49ers got Jimmy Garoppolo, everyone was saying that they would be the team this year. And then, of course, Garoppolo gets hurt. That gets ruined. But, yes, perhaps in 2019. Speaking of the 49ers, we did get this question. uh, An interesting story that might be a little bit under the radar, by the Bay. Yeah, this is Chad in Denver. I was just curious why you thought Kyle Shanahan blocked so many of his assistants from being interviewed for other teams. And do you think that will cause a mass exodus when their contracts are up at the end of this next year? I've just never seen it done before in that larger volume. Thanks. It's a great question. As we tape this Ask Adam segment here on Monday morning at roughly 11 a.m. Eastern, I would say, number one, it has been done before. There are plenty of teams that have blocked coaches from going. Rarely have we seen a team block a brother from joining his brother as the 49ers blocked Mike LaFleur, their coordinator on offense, to join his brother Matt in Green Bay. But I will also say this. I don't think that that's a dead issue just yet. Even though they've been blocked, doesn't mean they couldn't have discussions. The 49ers once swapped draft choices to get their offensive line coach in there. So maybe this is the 49ers leveraging certain coaches for potential compensation later this week. Or depending on how the coaching carousel falls, I don't think it's a dead issue. 
And here's the deal. You could say, well, these coaches will want to leave there. Well, if the 49ers are taking care of them or they have a better opportunity or whatever, maybe they're going to do what's best for them. And if staying in San Francisco with Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan and a big raise that the 49ers give them is best for them, they'll do that. So you can't worry about that. You have to do what's best for your franchise today. And what's best for the 49ers today is to say to these guys, no, you're not going right now. That doesn't mean they won't go later this week or next week. But right now, we control your rights. You signed your contract. And we're going to see how this situation shakes out. So not a lot of movement by the Bay right now, but certainly a lot of movement in other cities around the NFL, which led to this voicemail. Hey, Al, my name is Ari. And ask Adam question. I just wanted to know, what has been the league-wide reaction to guys like Matt LaFleur, Cliff Kingsbury, and Zach Taylor getting head coaching jobs when it seems to be a bit early for them to get one and to have the responsibility of coaching an NFL team. I mean, I know Lewis Riddick has been all over Eric Bieniemy, and there seems to be, you know, better guys who are deserved to get it at this point. But what has been the reaction around the league? Thanks so much. What I would say is this. These teams are going in the directions that they are, and it's caused, I think, some surprise around the league. I think there's been mixed reaction to this class of hiring of head coaches. I think that certain people believe in certain coaches and others don't. And Eric Bieniemy may have succeeded and Chris Richard may have succeeded and Zach Taylor may succeed and Matt LaFleur may succeed. We're going to find that over time. And you can't really judge a hiring today. I think the one thing we can say is that Sean McVay changed the game. When the Rams hired Sean McVay at the age of, I think, 30 years old when they hired him, it gave teams a reason that they felt, you know what, we're going to hire who we want. We're not going to wait. We're going to go early on a guy. And there's certainly been a tendency for teams to go hire offensive-minded coaches. I've had defensive coaches complain to me and say that they would be better off being a quality control coach for Sean McVay than being a defensive coordinator on another team that their chances of interviewing for a head coaching job would be enhanced. And we all saw how many Sean McVay jokes there were last week. Like, hey, I covered Sean McVay as a reporter. I'm qualified to coach a team. Or I cleaned Sean McVay's bathroom. I'm qualified to coach a team. Everybody that had any connection to Sean McVay all of a sudden deemed him or herself worthy of coaching an NFL team. But the fact of the matter is that's not Sean's fault. Sean is an incredibly charismatic, brilliant coach to the point where if you wanted to start a franchise, he would be the guy you'd want coaching your team. That's not his fault. But everybody's looking for a version of that. And the success that the Rams have had with him has given teams a reason, a justification, a rationalization to go out and hire who they want. Even if the guy's a little early, even if he's not ready, they think that these are the right moves to make. And that doesn't mean that Eric Bieniemy is not going to be a good head coach one day. Or Mike Kafka, the Chiefs quarterback's coach, who's also on team's radar, is going to be a good head coach. Or Nick Sirianni, the Colts' offensive coordinator. But these are the guys that have had some connections to Sean McVay. They've got an offensive background that are young, that resemble what we've seen succeed around the league. Doesn't mean they will. But that's how some teams have approached this. One team that bucked the Sean McVay trend, of course, the Cleveland Browns, which led to this call. Hey, this is Justin from Boone, North Carolina. Just calling in to see what you think about the Browns coaching staff, the extended search, and their new organizational structure. Thanks. Have a good day. Well, Justin, on Monday, the Browns announced basically their entire staff. And when you look at it as a whole, 
it's hard not to like it, right? You hire Freddie Kitchens, who's never been a head coach, and we'll see how he does, but certainly his chances of succeeding are greatly enhanced with Baker Mayfield as the quarterback. But then they go in the name Steve Wilkes as the defensive coordinator. Like that. Todd Monken as the offensive coordinator. Like that. Mike Prefer, special teams coordinator. Like that. Stump Mitchell, running backs, run game coordinator. Like that. James Campman as the offensive line associate head coach. Like that. Ryan Lindley, quarterback coach. Like, I mean, that's what you want. You want to assemble a staff that's going to be a variety of perspectives, a variety of ideas, a variety of experiences and allow them to thrive. I, mean, I think that Cleveland, with this front office, has hit a home run in the draft last year, and it certainly looks like it's made the right decisions. None of us know, none of us know, how Freddie Kitchens will do as a head coach. He might be great, he might not be, but they have certainly surrounded him with the type of staff that you'd want, and they've given this coaching staff, this head coach, his coordinators, the best chance possible to succeed, and we'll find out whether they actually do. And it also looks like they have a good chance to succeed, as you mentioned, Adam, because they appear to have the right quarterback with it's Baker everything. Mayfield. It's yeah. everything, Josh. You it, got that. Everybody looks better. How many people have gotten jobs because of Tom Brady in New England and Bill Belichick? Everybody. That's, that's a great point. But one team of many that still has questions when it comes to their signal caller, the Jacksonville Jaguars, Oy. which leads us to this final Ask Adam voicemail. Hey Adam, this is Nadir Hassan over in Canada. I'm a big Jaguar fan. Just got one question for you, my man. Blake Bortles, is he going to be in Jacksonville next year or not? I hope to God that he's not. Thank you, Adam. Nadir, I am here to answer your prayers. He sounds very distraught. Yeah, I know. It, it, having Blake Bortles around for a long period of time like that <laughs> will do that bring a man you. down. Yeah. And Nadir obviously seems like he's having a rough morning today. So, Nadir, I am here to help you through this. And I am here to tell you that I don't think that Blake Bortles is going to be back as the Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback, Nadir. I don't think. That was, that, this, that's Nadir yeah. clapping all the way yeah. from Canada. Canada over here across the border. And I don't think that they can bring him back and have the faith of this team and coaching staff and players. They've given Blake Bortles every chance they can to succeed. And I think this organization as a whole, Nadir, recognizes that the time has come to move on. So, Nadir, pick up your chin. Smile. It's a new day. There's a lot of excitement and bright hope in front of you, okay? I want you to go outside in that great white Canadian north, <laughs> and I want you to breathe in the cool, fresh air, and I want you to smile and laugh, and I want you to be happy and excited about the coming Jaguar season because I don't think Blake Bortles is going to be your quarterback anymore. Wow. That gust of wind you just felt, Adam, was a sigh of relief from Nadir north of the border. Well, if you need uh, Adam to be to talk you off a ledge as well, please give us a call for your Ask Adam questions, comments. Keep it clean. Keep it short. 860-506-5779. We'll be here to answer all your questions on next week's Adam Schefter podcast. So thank you, the listeners, for sending in those Ask Adam questions on this week's Adam Schefter podcast. And thank you, Evan Kaplan, for the analytics breakdown of the upcoming conference championship game Sunday. Rams Saints, Patriots Chiefs should be a great conference championship game Sunday. And a special thanks to the new head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Bruce Arians. And thank you for listening to the latest Adam Schefter podcast. We'll be back next week to preview 
Super Bowl 53. Have a great week and enjoy the conference championship games, everybody.